You're listening to Cancer Covered. Regularly, people come in with that question, and there might not be anything really behind it. It's because they did some Googling, and they read somewhere that stage is important. They don't know what stage means. They just read, ask about your stage. Your stage determines your treatment. And they think, well, I need to prepare for this visit with my doctor. What are the questions that I should ask? They Google questions to ask your doctor about cancer, and the first thing that comes up is, what is the stage? You're listening to Cancer Covered with Green Bay Oncology, where we explore pressing cancer issues and look for ways healthcare professionals, patients, and their families can cope better together. I'm Dr. Mitch Winkler. Cancer patients know their stage is important. They hear it from books, from the internet, and from their doctors. It's often the first question patients and their loved ones ask. But many of them aren't clear on how or why cancer stage matters. In today's episode, I sit down with Dr. Brian Barnett, an oncologist hematologist, and Dr. Michael Guyu, a radiation oncologist, to shed some light on these common questions and help you and your family better understand your cancer and communicate more effectively with your doctors. I'm here with Brian Burnett and Michael Guyu. Brian, Michael, good to see you fellas today. Good to see you. Good to see you. Thanks for being here. So, strictly speaking, what do we mean by cancer stage? number of prominent people at the time came together in, I believe, the 60s or 70s for the AJCC, which is a staging system we use for cancer that for a given tumor, you can divide things up into early, intermediate, or late stage disease, commonly known as stages 1, 2, 3, and 4. I always look at it as staging as a way that I understand the full scope of the disease that I'm treating. That is it localized? How far is it spread? And that can often dictate what therapy you're going to get. It's a really important step in taking care of a patient, understanding where we are before we start down the treatment pathways. And it can focus what the intention of therapy is. For instance, if somebody has a stage one solid tumor, like a breast cancer, lung cancer, oftentimes they're treated with curative intent, whereas for stage four breast cancer or lung cancer, and stage four means it's spread to other organs or other parts of the body, then that's not curable. And our treatment strategies can be markedly different for an early stage, highly curable breast or lung cancer compared to a late stage or stage four metastatic or advanced. So cancer stage is a systematic way to summarize how much cancer there is and how far it's spread. So that's one component. The other component is it's a systematic way to lump like with like, meaning this group tends to behave a certain way and needs to get a certain treatment. And then this group that's maybe a little bit more advanced needs a different treatment and they tend to behave the same way. Stage is one piece of how we set our expectations for how the cancer is going to behave, how the cancer might do and what we can reasonably expect to achieve. There's one standard staging system called the AJCC that updates the staging every several years. I think the most recent edition was the eighth edition, and then there's a ninth edition coming out within the next year or two. And that's generally the one that just about everybody uses. The AJCC system has four broad groups, which generally break down like this. Stage one, where the cancer is small and confined. 
Stage 2, where the cancer is still relatively small, but often involves nearby lymph nodes. Stage 3, where the cancer is larger and may be invading nearby structures or has more extensive nodal involvement. And Stage 4, where the cancer is spread to more distant groups. Though this summary applies to most cancers, there are a lot of exceptions, and increasingly, Molecular tumor features can trump classical staging when we're planning treatment or setting expectations. For instance, head and neck cancers, if you have uh, cancer in your tonsil that's not related to HPV and you have lymph nodes in your neck, that's a stage four cancer, but that is definitely curable. So not all stage four disease is incurable. I think there's a lot of confusion about that. I think patients will hear a number attached to their cancer, like with head and neck cancer, if it's stage four, or say certain types of lymphoma that are stage four, and immediately jump to conclusion about their prognosis when they may have a very treatable, even curable disease. Absolutely. Likewise, there are some stage two cancers that have a dreadful prognosis. Absolutely. So things like a blood or bone marrow cancer, like multiple myeloma, there's technically a staging system for that, but doesn't really matter anymore. The way in which we categorize multiple myeloma is based upon molecular characteristics or the biology of the tumor rather than the extent of it. And the same goes for things like chronic lymphocytic leukemia or acute leukemia or lymphomas as well. To some extent, that's true. Prostate cancer as well. And prostate, we talk more about risk grouping than stage, very low to very high. And that's really what guides treatment decisions, much less than the classic tumor, lymph node, metastasis staging system we use for other cancers. We've become better at understanding these things and understanding the biology and the mechanisms through which cancer can grow and thrive, as well as the ways in which we can manipulate that or address that to control or cure cancer. And as we have a better understanding of that, we can do a better job of, of subgrouping or categorizing patients' cancers based upon the biology or the molecular features of that cancer, which can lead to different conclusions, different treatments than just a, what we call a anatomic staging that provides uh, limited information for many cancers these days. There's a sort of subset of cancers. We don't see a lot of them, but central nervous system cancers, there really isn't a classic TNM staging system for that. And really now the classifications within those tumors are molecular variables. So you don't have a stage one glioblastoma. You don't have a stage four glioblastoma. You have a glioblastoma that has XYZ mutation. And I think at some point, it's going to be interesting to see where staging goes. I think Brian brings up a good point that the older system, sort of the regional geographical system, which the TNM staging is going to be superseded by molecular drivers, that, that you could have pretty widespread disease. But if you've got this great molecular profile, you're going to do better than someone that has more limited disease, but just doesn't have the same molecular profile. We've already seen that in head and neck cancer, for instance. Head and neck cancer, if you have the same anatomical extent of disease, but the tumor carries a P16 mutation, the stage is very different than yep. if the tumor does not have the P16 mutation because they behave so differently. Right. So it's this interesting shift from incurable to sort of very curable to disease. So but you're right. I think we're seeing that more and more within tumor types, that the molecular drivers, are, I think, are going to be the things that guide our therapy decisions much more so than how many lymph nodes you have or how big your tumor is. So is it fair to say that although stage can often be very relevant for prognosis and treatment, it's not the only factor, and sometimes it's not even the most important factor. It really depends on the cancer. Yeah, I think we're learning more and more of that. 
But to understand that is to understand staging. There's no such thing as a good cancer, but stage one, stage two, solid tumors for the most part are not nearly as bad as stage three or four cancers are. And detecting those more cancers in the stage one or stage two than the stage three or stage four saves lives, helps people live longer, helps decrease cancer mortality. So staging is still an important part of planning cancer treatment. But what should patients expect when their doctor starts the staging process? Does it mean more tests, more procedures? What exactly should patients be prepared for? And how long might the secondary step take? And will the cancer spread in the meantime? You may have a CT scan, you may have a PET scan, you may have an MRI. In some cases, we use ultrasound. So it really is dependent on the cancer that we're treating and the most appropriate method for assessing that. So it's different for different cancers. And it also depends on what our senses of the stage of the cancer before doing tests. For instance, if somebody has a mammogram and has a biopsy and we've detected a six millimeter cancer in the breast that's low grade and low risk. Well, that's not somebody that, and if they're asymptomatic or not feeling poorly in any way, that's not something that we would necessarily do a bunch of additional imaging like a CAT scan of the body right. or an MRI of the brain sure. or a PET scan. However, if somebody comes in and they have a breast that's replaced by cancer and abnormal lymph nodes on exam in the armpit, well, then we're probably going to do a CAT scan and or bone scan or a PET scan, depending on the circumstances, to fully evaluate whether or not there's what we would call distant or metastatic disease, in which case our intention of treatment and our management strategy would change considerably. I think a lot of patients get frustrated in the period between diagnosis when their cancer is identified and the biopsy recognizes it and when the staging process is completed. And very often that period between diagnosis and completing the stage and being able to clearly define the treatment plan and start talking with some clarity about what they can expect is often a few weeks, sometimes several weeks. I think it's inevitable that patients are going to have understandable anxiety and even distress during the period of time when they understand they have a cancer before anyone can tell them what the plan clearly is because these steps take time. It's important to do things right, not right now. And what I mean by that is it's important to have the information that we need when we need it and to be upfront and forthright with patients and let them know where we're at in that diagnosing and understanding their cancer. So it's medically important for us to take the time that is required to really understand the cancer so that we can select therapy appropriately. But many patients feel this imperative between the time of diagnosis to the initiation of treatment. And what I've heard them say is a great fear that in this period of time, while we're adjusting our aim and collecting information, the cancer is going to spread and become incurable when it may have been curable two weeks ago. I think that's really where the onus is on us as providers to explain that that a few days or even a week isn't going to change things. You hear that diagnosis and immediately is we have to do things now. We need that scan tomorrow. We need the biopsy the next day. And we need to educate them that it's okay. It's okay if that MRI is next week and the biopsy is a few days later. It's not going to change anything. I mean, staging is not that dynamic. It's gonna, it's not going to change anything. But I do think that people get, there is that fear and you can guide them through that process. 
I share their impatience because I would also like to have the results tomorrow and start treatment the very next day, even though medically I know that it's not necessary. And I also want to emphasize that there's nothing leisurely in our approach to staging. But, you know, we have to recognize that hospital systems and healthcare systems have limitations to how fast these things can be turned around. And getting it right rather than getting it right now, as Brian said so well, is really the key. Whatever the general conceptions or misconceptions of staging might be, almost everyone seems aware that a stage 4 cancer is pretty serious. But what does that mean in human terms? Is that life-threatening? And how soon might things turn for the worse? Some patients ask, after being told of a stage 4 diagnosis, does this mean I only have weeks to live? No, absolutely not. There's a spectrum, obviously, but, I mean, with... As therapy gets better and better, we have more and more tools to to treat people. Most stage four disease is incurable, but it doesn't mean it's not treatable. One of the things that we learned early in the development of standardized protocols for cancer and chemotherapy is the importance of functional status. And broadly speaking, that's how sick are you and how functional are you? And even to this day, the functional status, meaning can you get out of bed? Can you get around? How sick are you? And in, in, in a broad categorical way is still the very best predictor of survival, better than stage, better than anything else yeah. for the most part, as far as solid tumors go. And I think that people who feel otherwise well, but, you know, are recently diagnosed with the cancer sometimes worry that they're condition is going to rapidly change. Most of the time, people who are reasonably well are not on death's doorstep or a week or two weeks away from death. So, Michael, Brian, how would you advise patients and their families to talk productively to their doctors about stage? I always encourage patients to to ask questions and you can stop your physician at any point and say like, I don't understand, or let's loop back to that one thing. When patients ask me about stage, I ask them, what is it that you really want to know? Because truth be told, patients aren't asking about their technical stage or their number. They want to know what that stage, when it is translated, means for them. They want to know what it means in terms of treatment. They want to know what it means in terms of prognosis. I don't think it's sufficient to answer a patient's questions about stage without asking what's the question or questions behind it. What is it you're really hoping to find out? Regularly, people come in with that question, and there might not be anything really behind it. It's because they did some Googling, and they read somewhere that stage is important. They don't know what stage means. They just read, ask about your stage. Your stage determines your treatment. And they think, well, I need to prepare for this visit with my doctor. What are the questions that I should ask? They Google questions to ask your doctor about cancer. And the first thing that comes up is what is the stage? And they don't know why they need to ask or why they're asking or what the implication is. So in a sense, I agree with you. There's something behind it, but it isn't always what meets the eye. No, sometimes it's because they don't really know any other way to ask about scary things. The collection of letters and numbers, the TNM, that's sort of meaningless unless you attach that goal to it. Exactly. It doesn't matter. And that's, I think, our job to 
translate that, to translate these, this hieroglyphic thing, this system that we've created that spits out your stage one, two, three, or four, and then your treatment options are A, B, and C. That's our job to, to do that. Staging by itself is meaningless unless it's tied to that larger plan, that larger goal. All right, Michael, thanks for your time. Great talking with you tonight. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on Cancer Covered. Please let us know what you think by leaving a review. To learn more, read our blog, request an appointment, search available clinical trials, or even apply to become a member of the team, go to gboncology.com. Music.